Welcome to the Humane Humans Podcast, a podcast designed to help you better understand animal shelters, animal control officers, and the animal welfare industry. And now, here are your hosts. With over 23 years of combined experience in the animal welfare industry, animal control professionals, Officer Hildy and Daniel. Yo, 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 what's up? What up, dude? You know, this is the first time in a long time that uh, I'm still wearing jeans at this late in the day. I usually switch over to sweatpants and just relax. You know what I mean? Just let it breathe. Just chill out. Just And I'm sitting in jeans all day today, so can't wait to finish this podcast and get out of them. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, haven't you been off all day? All day, but I've been work like kind of working around and we um we the kiddos this morning doing some homeschooling. I had an emergency dentist appointment where my crown fell out of my mouth on one of my oh. teeth. Yeah, it wasn't a great experience. There was really no pain. The thing was in there with temporary cement for 7 years. <laughs> we figured <laughs> we figured that out today. Because it was it wasn't a root canal; it was just a crown over a pretty deep filling, and okay. they don't they don't like to put permanent cement until they can figure out if it's going to cause any more issues. So seven years went by and no issues. So we we put some permanent cement on there, and then uh, took the kids over to my sister's house for a little bit on some essential duties. Uh, so we're not breaking the quarantine. But by the time this no, this is tomorrow. Never mind. But we're coming to an end of the stay at home order and in a lot of places. So that'll be nice. And then, um, yeah, we just did some, made some dinner and hung out at the house and, and they're ready for, uh, the next day school and tomorrow and all that stuff back to work. How about you, man? Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, I was kicking myself in the butt this morning because I had the opportunity yesterday to buy some stock And I did not get it done before the stock market closed yesterday. And this morning I woke up and found out that I could have made like $1,400 overnight if I had just bought that stock. There's some uh, oil stocks that were going for $38 yesterday. And uh, I believe they closed today at like $20 something dollars. So is it, is it this stock? Cause I don't know. Um, that yes, one. that's exactly the stock. <laughs> so is, I, I have wait, I is actually, it, is it down to 14? Yeah, I own it and I bought it at, uh, like $4 a, a share. Okay. And, and then it went, it's really weird how it works. Um, it like split. I don't really understand how that works, but like, I think basically, I think I lost all my money in it. And then I think because I did that, I still get some shares of the new stock because it's split or something. I honestly, I don't know how that actually works, but I did. I've owned it for a few months now. Okay. And, um, I'm just, I'm going to have to wait till tomorrow to kind of see how everything progresses. Yeah. So, I woke up this morning and I was a little disappointed in myself because this morning it was like around twenty twenty bucks, yeah. and yeah. I was like, "Crap! I could have made like thirteen hundred dollars overnight." 
Yeah, it's weird. It's stock market is just weird in general. Yeah. yeah. It's all good though. I did uh end up buying some of that stock today anyways and um I got it for cheaper than what it closed, so I made a couple dollars today probably. And do you own, um do you own a lot of stock? I don't own a lot of stock, but I have some um MGM stock and I have some of that stock now. So um yeah, we'll see what happens when things start opening back up. Mm-hmm. Indeed, man. Indeed. Cool. Well, I guess let's get to it. Um, today we're gonna be talking about some life saving programs that I think or hope most shelters have. I know um the very first shelter I worked at did not have some of these programs, and I hope they do now. Um, so anyways, we're going to talk about them and, um, for our listeners, if any of your shelters do not have any of these programs, you might, um, mention them to them and maybe help them do some research and figure out how to get some of these programs going. So the first one that I have on my list here, I'm almost positive every single shelter does this. Um, if not. I don't know if they can call themselves a shelter, but that is the adoption program. And so generally the goal of every shelter is to get animals either back home to where they came from, or if we don't know where they came from or who their home is, um, to get them adopted out to a new family potentially. Hmm. And so um, an adoption also adoption program also could mean transferring pets to a rescue partner for the same purpose is adoption. Um, sometimes rescues are able to um, vet people a little more than shelters can, right? Because we have a lot of flow of animals coming in the shelter and a lot of shelters operate on like a, I think they call it an open adoption process where basically um, someone can come in, um, walk through the kennels, see a dog or a cat that they want to adopt or a bunny, whatever, and they fill out adoption application. There might be some adoption counseling that happens um, to tell the potential adopters about that specific animal's um, quirks or anything like that. Um, they process the paperwork, pay their fees, and out the door they go. And I think a lot of shelters operate that way um, because, again, the uh, goal is to get pets out of the shelter and into homes. So uh, rescues have the luxury, though, of one, picking and choosing what they want from the shelter, mm -hmm. and two, being able to vet those people a little better, um, whether that's doing home checks or... Uh, maybe doing like a trial basis first and then fully doing the adoption, being able to maybe do a little deeper of a dive on that person to like verify that they actually own their home and they're not renting. Or if they are renting, to be able to get in touch with their landlord to make sure that it's okay that they adopt a dog so that dog does not get returned. And some shelters do do that, but um, I do know a lot of them also work on like an open adoption process and they just kind of believe whatever the person puts on the application and 
they send them on their way. And that's partly because they just want to be able to get them out of the shelter, right? Like they, they want to have what we like to call the shorter length of stay. And so it, it comes down to numbers in a sense. Now, granted, it's not just a numbers game, but it is in some aspects where we talk about length of stay, trying to get animals moved away or out of the shelter a lot faster than other shelters. It's, and I don't want to say it's a competition necessarily. I would say that it's just, it's important, right? We don't want animals sitting there. So currently, and, and not to get too far off topic, but currently with the whole COVID situation, we moved a lot of animals through foster programs that we'll probably talk about later, but the ones that are there, they're getting such excellent care, such excellent stimulation right now that makes them even a more valuable or adoption candidate moving forward. Absolutely. By the way, completely off topic, I see behind you downstairs by the front door, I think, a picture of a dog that looks really, really happy. (laughs) That, that is, um, that is my boy dirt dog. He, uh, yeah, he was, uh, that's a that's a tough picture, man. That was the day that he was euthanized, actually. So, okay. um, <laughs> but he was he was a good boy. He he just time time catches everybody. So, oh yeah, it's yeah. inevitable. Yeah, yeah, I love that dog. So, uh, moving on to our volunteer programs, some shelters have this, some shelters do not. Uh, volunteers are awesome if you get some good volunteers that get taught the right way and um, can kind of take initiative and just get things done and know what things need to happen. Um, They can be a little pain in the butt sometimes, but um, for the most part, volunteers are good. They are there volunteering their time. They could be elsewhere doing whatever, um, but they decide to show up at the shelters and uh, take dogs out for walks or clean, um, do paperwork for us, uh, do enrichment, um, a number of things. Even when disasters happen, volunteers show up and they're um, they're helping with those sort of things also. So um, they can absolutely be a awesome resource, especially because I have not yet gone to a shelter or animal control agency and heard the words, oh, we have enough people. Like, we Hmm. have all the people we need, or we have excess people. Like, I always hear we're understaffed, overworked. So absolutely, um, having volunteers that are just free work, basically, and um, getting them trained so that they can do potentially the job of a staff member if that staff member was there is absolutely a vital vital thing for shelters um especially small shelters that may only have one or two dental workers so absolutely and special events all of those good things volunteers are good for and then daniel you mentioned foster programs basically um And I'll take that a step, a little step further too, um, with the program that we have at my shelter. But um, having a foster program, super important. Uh, Again, some shelters have this, some shelters do not. And um, some of the reasons why a foster program is so important is one, uh, a lot of behaviors that we see in animals often disappear whenever they're gone from the shelter. 
as much as we try to keep the shelter a low stress environment, it's still very stressful for some animals. So some behavior things that we see at the shelter may disappear when the dog's in a home. Um, a lot of things can be learned about a specific pet when it's in someone's home. And so sometimes we get these animals, we have no idea any information about their background, if they've been vaccinated, if they have any bad habits, any of that stuff. Um, but someone fostering that animal and living with that animal 24-7 um, gives us a, a enormous amount of information about that animal's behavior and how they act at home. Um, some of our fosters even end up adopting the hmm. pets that they foster, which is cool. And they, I've always heard word of mouth is the most powerful method of marketing. So if you can imagine someone having an animal at their home that they're fostering, going out and telling their friends about how awesome this animal is, that it's potty trained, that mm -hmm. um, this is the schedule they have it on, and these are all the great things that they can do. That is much more valuable than someone potentially walking through the shelter, seeing that dog and saying, oh, this is a really cute dog, or oh, this cat's really cute, but us not being able to provide them any information. So that is it's, absolutely good. We're, we're actually bringing home a foster puppy tomorrow pretty excited about it. It's a case that you're somewhat familiar with that I, I investigated and <clears throat> it had a pretty serious medical condition and I elected to work with the owner in regards to surrendering the pet to the city rather than facing criminal charges. And they did elect to, to go ahead and just surrender the dog. They had it for maybe a month and a half somewhere in there uh, and i get it it's still a family member it's still somebody that they've brought in they've raised so it's hard to say goodbye to it but it's different of like a dog of two years or three years and uh, it, it's gone through over well it, it started with seven and a seven and a half hour surgery from our veterinarian and we didn't take it home last week just wanted to make sure everything is okay and then we have a reschedule as far as uh, just checking in making sure they got all of the area cleaned up that they needed to and then we will hopefully be out of the woods as, as far as that not coming back so it could have been a congenital issue with the dog but really excited he's a five-month-old uh, cane corso mix looking puppy uh, he's already pretty big close to 50 pounds so uh, pretty excited. Hopefully it all goes well with our dogs and the kiddos. And uh, hopefully we don't have that foster failure that uh, we hear about a lot where people just keep the dog. We just want to be able to, you know, he's so impressionable right now being so young is like, and plus we have these extra days off with the, the way our schedules are. It's important that we can get him out in the community, meeting people, being around other dogs, socializing him as best as possible. So really excited, a little nervous, but excited. It's not my first foster, but it's still uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. That is exciting. And um, just the last two things here on foster programs um, and them being so important. 
Uh, luckily, we don't have this issue at my shelter, or we haven't yet, but um, having a good foster program allows shelters that do get full um, the ability to maybe send some animals out to foster versus euthanizing for space. And then um, the last, and I think probably um, a pretty important thing, is newborn uh, kittens and puppies. Generally, animal shelters are not staffed 24-7, and uh, newborn puppies and kittens are just like a baby. Like, they need around-the-clock care. They need to eat every couple of hours. Um, generally that is not something that a shelter can provide unless one of the staff members takes those puppies or kittens home. And I do that quite a bit. Yep. All of that good stuff. <laughs> and it's very, very exhausting and tiring. So, um, that is another, uh, fantastic resource in a good foster program, um, is being able to call up your puppy or kitten fosters who know what they're doing and can bottle feed and, do all that good stuff, but also have the um, understanding that all puppies and kittens don't thrive. And so um, being able to handle the fact that maybe some may pass away and may not make it. So, Yeah. Yep. We had that happen not too long ago. We brought home three and two went back. So it's unfortunate, yeah. but it is the reality. You know, we don't know how long they were away from their mother. We did everything that we could. And sometimes it's just, <clears throat> it's not always enough. So yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, I'll turn it over to you, Daniel, to talk about the enrichment, spay and neuter and transfer programs. Awesome. So I think it's, it, it's becoming more and more common that shelters are creating a an enrichment program. And I know that when I was managing a shelter in Colorado a couple years back, we were just on the beginning stages of creating that program. So I would imagine there's actually a lot of shelters that don't do much of as of enrichment goes. Some of the things that we implemented there was basically hiking with a dog. So we would allow people to come in, take a dog that we deemed friendly and suitable to be out in the community in that capacity with a volunteer and they would take it for basically the day they would sign some paperwork and assume responsibility for that animal at that time yeah exactly a great program great opportunity to get that animal out wearing an adopt me vest right and then but it also gets that animal the enrichment that it needs so i've you know i've been uh, are you familiar with temple grandin have we talked about temple grandin before I don't think She's so. She's a no. professor from CSU. She's famous for making, uh, for innovating some feed animal animal practices. So she's created what, what we refer to as a squeeze cage for cattle. And I think part of the reason she's so famous is because she's also autistic. Uh, however, you know, it doesn't affect her ability to teach. And uh, I, she's just really really an impressive person. And I talked to her years ago about the animal shelter world. And one of the things she said for the dog population that we have is like, if we can get them out of the kennels for a half hour a day and they're social animals, they want to be around people. Cats are less, right? Cats don't really care as much, but dogs want to be around people. They're 
you know, they're here to please in a sense or appease us. So that's, that's a huge thing. If you have a group of volunteers that can come in and we do currently it's that, that current, I guess, situation is paused due to the COVID. However, normally our volunteers will come in, they will take a dog out for a while, stimulate it, play with it. And then when they put it back into the kennel, they'll, we have a, our behaviorist, they create, or they, they created programs to work with our volunteers as well to take Kongs and load those up with, load those up with peanut butter and other treats and, and kibble and stuff like that. And then they freeze it and they'll put those in the kennels. They'll take Frisbees and do the same thing where they'll freeze some stuff on it. And then they'll put that between the outside of the bar of the kennel. And then the dog can lick at it through the kennels that way. So there's just a lot of different things we can do there. We'll have treat cups in front of certain kennels where the animals, the dogs are not necessarily like not that they're not friendly, but they're maybe just scared. They're, they're fearful of people. And so having that anytime an employee or a volunteer walks by, we can throw a treat in there just to make them, you know, associate us as a, as a good thing. So a lot of different things that you can do with the animal. I think it's important really to do the enrichment with, with getting them out. If you can, if you can get them out and stimulate them that way, doing some games outside in the yard, if you have that area and ability, that's super important. And then the enrichment inside the kennel, if they have the ability to, you know, chew on a Kong for a little while and try to get a treat or some, you know, some food out of it. I think that's also going to help them while they're there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we did do an episode on enrichment, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Recently. So. Yep. And then spay neuter programs. This is really, it baffles me when I go and, and speak and talk to people in other States that a lot of, cities do not have a spay neuter law do you have a spay neuter law in your city we do um if your animal is impounded two times on that second impoundment we can alter your animal before it is returned back to you do you have a spay neuter law that requires an animal over the age of six months to be sterilized no we don't um the license fee is just a higher fee like our um, if your animal's altered, it's $15 or $35 for mm -hmm. a one or three year license versus $100 for one year or $150 for three years if your dog is not altered. So we have it built into our ordinance at the age of six months. Your animal has to be spay or neutered, or you can obtain an intact permit. The intact permit is really designed for people that show animals or people that have a bloodline that they want to reproduce, like law enforcement animal or yeah. maybe a service animal, a true service animal. However, just your normal pet, we we say it has to be spayed or neutered by the age of six months. So that's <laughs> I know there's a lot of studies that go around and what's the proper age to spay or neuter your pet, etc. I would say that having that ordinance helps and it's why we're in the situation that we're in in Colorado where you know we don't have to euthanize for time or space that's not an issue for us in a place like Alabama or Mississippi or New Orleans or Oklahoma I would imagine they have a lot of time and space issues because they're a little bit dated and we've talked about it on the humane roundup podcast with the 
Animal Legal Defense Fund does a study on who's the best states in the country for animal welfare laws. And Colorado moved into the top three. I think California's up there in the top five, um, or at least the top 10. And so like, but part of that is like the spay-neuter laws, the the time, you know, time of the animal spent in the shelter, et cetera. And, And I just think it's important to have those. I would say for us, we have a great program that is sponsored by the Humane Society of the United States called the Pets for Life program. And what that does is it funds funds this program for lower socioeconomic neighborhoods where we have canvassers that basically go door to door. And if you have a pet, they offer free spay and neuters and vaccinations. So it, basically they educate they figure out transport and they get these animals fixed for free. The officers, we do have the ability to give referrals. So if we're out on a call, I may chose chose I may choose to go okay. the more educational route where instead of enforcement, hey, we have this free program. You're in the zip code that we have this funding for. I'd rather you you know spay and neuter your pet and get the doghouse versus me writing you a ticket and then it doesn't even get fixed. And yeah. so it's a it's a great program that we have. Question: uh, Your intact permit can a normal like citizen buy one of those, or do they have to be um, someone that's showing or breeding or something like that? Yeah. How much so does one of those cost? It's a hundred and fifty dollar permit per year. The applicant can be anyone but they can only have one intact permit per household. So if you have two dogs, one of them would have to be spayed or neutered. Okay. And, and then Which we kind of defeats the purpose of having it, right? Uh, like yes and no. Your... Cause what, what that does is that, that would at least stop backyard breeding. If you're a true breeder, most of you are studying, studying them out. Right. So you're not actually, you don't own both. Right. Okay. In most cases, some people do, but in most cases, like you're going to, you're going to find the right stud or the right bitch. And then you're going to breed those two versus I have a house where I have the stud and the bitch and I'm going to just continuously breed. That's what we want to avoid. Right. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It, um, it is good for you guys, but mm. defeats the purpose for the animal owner if they can't have two intact right dogs at their house so absolutely that is, that's awesome yeah and then so we'll then come out and inspect the yard to make sure it's secure for no other dogs to be able to get into the yard and for them not to be able to get out of the yard so yeah it's um it's a, i love the programs that we have i'm glad we have the uh excuse me the pets for life program i think that's very innovative i'm glad there's funding for that the other cool thing is we have a nonprofit shelter in the city as well. And that nonprofit shelter has very low cost spay and neuters that they do mobily. Is that a word? Mobily? Uh, they have a mobile clinic and they also provide vouchers for our officers to be able to hand out. So if it's not one of those low socioeconomic neighborhoods, we can then hand out the coupon to somebody and then they can get a free spay and neuter. So there's really no excuses for yeah. your animal being intact at this point. That's awesome. And then transfer programs, I think those are what we're seeing more and more of. 
we're really seeing it in the south that people are transferring animals up to these states and cities that have low just low numbers of puppies Mm -hmm. and you see it a lot in my state in my state in colorado where they'll drive down to texas oklahoma my my puppies from louisiana the dog that i own and they bring them up because they have a higher euthanasia rate there they do they do euthanize for time and space just because of you know they're overrun with with animals etc and here thankfully here again we don't have that problem and you don't really have that problem in california the other cool thing about our transfer program is it's internal in the state as well so say we have a dog that's been sitting there has not been adopted and it's just it's just not working out in our city we can then transfer it to another city that you know that type of dog may be more popular maybe somebody has a has more of like a need for a working dog and and, yeah, yeah. and we're you know we're not able to place it and so that helps getting it um transferred over to those other partners well i have a perfect example of that when i worked in the county um of course a lot of people had livestock and bird like chickens and things like that Mm -hmm. um but in our county we also provided services to the city of south lake tahoe which there's not a whole lot of livestock or chickens in the city of south lake tahoe so if we had someone's dog um, get out and maybe have a high prey drive or like to attack, attack chickens or something mm-hmm. like that, transferring them to our shelter that we had in the South Lake Tahoe area um, was a way for us to kind of get that dog out of, like basically get it out of the setting up for failure, I guess is the way mm-hmm. that you would say it. Um, getting it out of the situation where there's a shit ton of chickens and things for it to chase and get it to somewhere that's more of like a city place so it can get some exercise and do its thing with its owner but not be out chasing cows or killing chickens those so set it up for success rather than failure absolutely good man that's good yeah and i think it's really important there's a lot of rescue groups that run the transferring programs which was really helpful we've had some rescue groups come through during the COVID times to really just limit the amount of work that the, our shelters have to do as far as the normal day-to-day cleaning. And they can focus more on stimulating those animals. The enrichment programs that we talked about really spend more time with that than just, you know, cleaning poop or feeding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, that is just kind of a brief overview of some of the programs that a lot of shelters have across the country. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other programs out there that some shelters kind of have generated or um, come up with by themselves that that works in their area. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, Daniel and I um, both brought up uh, a doggy day out. I know a lot of uh, shelters like think of a program like that and they're like, hell no, we're not letting <laughs> a random person show up, check out one of our dogs like a <laughs> library book and do whatever they want with it all day. And um, I don't understand um, that mentality because in my opinion, if you have a good dog that is, you know, that it passes all of your background or behavioral checks and then you have a person that comes in signs a a waiver basically signs away 
liability from your city or your county. And like, I guess, sure, we. Can, I, I'm just not one to live in my fears. And I think we, I think it's really reflective of today's times and not to take anything away from what's happening in the current events. But like we can't sit here and live in our fears. And yep. so if you're able like to, to just get a dog out of your shelter for a few hours and that dog is able to like potentially be adopted or at least at minimum, it's not sitting in the shelter all day. Like that's a no brainer and sure bites can happen. Sure. The dog could get off the leash. The person could be untrustworthy and then the dog goes missing. But that's why we have our attorneys look over the the language in the contract. And then there's no risk. There's no liability. I would imagine if you were just going to like guesstimate a success rate of it, maybe like 2% of things go bad, right? It's so minimal. It just seems like a no-brainer. Well, and I can imagine too that shelters aren't letting dogs that are super fearful and pancaking on the ground yeah. be checked out for a doggy day out. So I would say the dogs that they are letting out are probably the happy dogs that will come to anyone. So even if they do get loose, if you mm-hmm. just baby talk and slap your legs a little bit, <laughs> like they'll come running huh? back to you. So, what? Huh? Yeah. You, you yeah, want to pet me? Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that is just a brief overview of some of the programs. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about um, some shelter operations, um, the design of facilities, um, some hours of operation, cleaning protocols, medical services, uh, capacity of care, uh, those sort of things. Um, and we'll go from there. And tune in next week to see what happens with our foster puppy. We're hoping it goes well. We have two dogs already here. so getting him adjusted and other dogs adjusted, you know, you can't just bring a dog. Maybe we can talk about that on future episodes. You can't just bring a dog home in most cases and be like, here, have at it guys. Right. Like there's, there's a a way to meet and greet. So we're excited about that. A little anxious. And I think uh, just looking forward to the overall success and really want to help this puppy. He has a name already, right? Yeah. His name is melon due to the size of the tumor that was on him. He had a melon size tumor right around his neck. We could talk about it. It's again, it's not a criminal case. Uh, the dog was surrendered, but it was uh, it was bad. I mean, I I've seen some bad tumors, and this ranks up there as one of the worst, especially on such a. I've seen them on dogs where like the dog itself is in bad shape. Uh, this guy overall's condition, like he he was back. What's the word? Bound bounding with energy. Um, so he was just exciting, like. You know, I'm sure like I can guarantee you there was discomfort just based on the size and how it like affected him. But at the same time, um, yeah, um, he like he it would have been bad if we didn't intervene. Let's put it that way or worse. It was already bad. It would have been worse if we didn't intervene. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, join us here next week. Peace. Keep it humane, man. thank you for listening to the humane humans podcast please remember to subscribe to humane humans wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode and while you're at it give us a rating and review follow us on facebook and instagram at humane humans podcast and twitter at humane podcast see you next week